paid good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking to editor Mike Hugo. He is the editor of the new motion picture Hypochondriac, directed by Addison Hyman. Mike and I had a great time talking about his career, what it means to be an editor, how he works with folks. Really good stuff. I hope you enjoy this. I had a great time talking with him. Mike Hugo, tell me a little bit more about yourself and how did you get involved in editing and filmmaking? My course is a little different than a lot of editors I know and that I'm friends with. And I started probably in high school. We were skaters and it was early editing days where consumers could actually edit. And so we would go and skate and we would go and record on VHS and Hi8 and and do that and then bring it home. And I remember it was probably my junior, senior year in high school. We finally got our hands on an early version of Adobe Premiere. And we had it on a PC and it was a struggle, of course, because it was early on. And at the same time, I am very tech orientated. So it was kind of that diving into the tech and the creative. And it was just our friends messing around with the footage we had and putting in music and sort of showing it off and sort of having fun. And that's kind of sparked my interest in editing because it's a puzzle that has no real ending. Um, it's the ending you make and what you say, okay, this is when I'm going to stop because art is almost never finished. You can keep going and going and going. And so that's sort of that hard discipline of how far do I want to push? And, you know, usually it's budget and that's probably a good thing. So from there, I, I went to school at UC Santa Barbara and decided to go into their film studies program, which was a lot of fun. And at the same time, very, very difficult. I am not a very good writer. I am very visual. And that's what also sort of put me into the the editing aspect. But at the same time, it was such a struggle that it helped me to break down films visually and down on paper. There were some really good classes I took where it really broke things apart. And I always remember one where it was was like critical thinking and we had to watch Donnie Darko. We couldn't talk about time. And it was like really a lesson of how do you talk about a film except for the main through point of all of it. That kind of really broke my brain open where it's kind of the, oh, there's so many different ways you can do this. And there's so many different opportunities. And so it really did, again, spark that interest of I'm a hands-on guy. Now I have some actual facts and foundation to work off of. And from there, I got an internship at a production and post-production house, small little house out of Santa Barbara, which was awesome because it let me touch these early HD cameras. It let me jump on to Final Cut. I think it was two. And, you know, knowing how to work a machine room and how to patch cables and at the same time, how to clean cameras, how to look at lenses and how, you know, and that that's probably one of the big things I find with a lot of editors Some don't really understand the production side as much as I wish they did, except at the same time, nowadays, there's a lot of directors that will shoot and edit their own stuff. Um, And so they do understand that. 
But, you know, for me, having that understanding of production where I'm sitting in the edit bay and I'm screaming and yelling, going, why didn't you get me this shot? And I go, wait a second. I understand production is chaos. Production is controlled, organized chaos. And sometimes things get thrown to the wayside and that's okay. That's why they have me to try to figure out how do we sort of bend these and band-aid it together without people realizing there's a band-aid on it. Having that sort of experience of knowing some production, knowing post-production, the technicality of it, let that group moved on into LA to start a HD company and a commercial company. And they told me, move to LA. We can't actually tell you we're going to grab you, but move to LA, we'll find you work. Move to LA, two weeks later, I'm working for them. That was sort of where it, my career kind of started differently. It was on the technical side. It was the beginning of HD. And so all these indie films were shooting on HD because it was cheaper than film. And with that comes a lot of technical problems. When people are cutting 2398 and 2997 at that point, it's a big issue when you go to online where I'm sitting there fixing frames to match up to their offline cut. And so that was a lot of work I put into it and seeing at the same time how people were cutting things. It was the breakdown of like, I'm tweaking all these things to match and I'm seeing what they're doing. And so I'm kind of ingesting all these different editors sort of aesthetics and what they, they really go after. You know, one of the bigger ones we worked on was Quinceanera. Um, and they uh, went to Sundance early on and it was an HD film and it, it was it's about the gentrification of Silver Lake, which I would soon actually live there. And so it was kind of this weird roundabout. And it was so awesome to work on because I saw that technique and I saw how we are adding to the story technically and how, you know, it. it's like one thing I always say is that everybody's names on the film and that should be a point of emphasis for everybody to put their heart and soul into it no matter what you're doing you know even me just messing with frames but i got to make sure everything is exactly right because my name's going up there and you know now 15 years later i can still look back and be like yes i did good work that was kind of where i got going with the technical side of knowing online knowing these turnovers and um you know it got to a point where i transitioned over to 3d at, at when 3D started coming out. This is before Avatar. And I really dove into that technical side of, okay, how do we edit a left and a right eye at the same time? And there was really no systems that were ready for that. And so I started working on a Quantel Pablo, which actually, it was a fun program. It's a high-end program. And they were geniuses because they took their reference video feed and said, this is going to be left eye. And then the main track was going to be right eye. So you could actually edit real time, left and right eye in stereo. And that was awesome to sort of experiment with finding new reasons of what works in 3D and what doesn't work in 3D, how cuts have to be slower. And, you know, really sort of, again, sort of bending the rules of editorial. That's where I was like, you know what? I kind of want to edit myself. I, I'm tired of fixing other people's problems. And, you know, I know they're, they're doing their best and they're trying and I'm trying to hold their hand through things. And at the same time, I'm like, I, I kind of got to that point of I'm an artist. I am kind of starving to create. And so I basically walked away, redid my career and started from scratch again. And, you know, the great thing was I had 
some really good contacts that I'd worked with previously. And they were like, yeah, we, we trust you. We know you can edit. And so it really sort of started from there where I always say, don't burn any bridges if possible, because this industry is so small, no matter if you're across the world or not. Um, I've run across so many people randomly where I'm like, oh my God, I remember you. Hey, how are you doing? And it's like so crazy and everyone wants to help. You know, I want to help people that I've worked with and I want to help people that are coming up. And, you know, because the thing is, is that they're going to have my back in the future, I'm sure. So it's like, this is a collaborative process. <laughs> you know, it's not just me sitting in the edit bay by myself. It's going to touch other people's hands. It's going to, you know, spark other ideas. So when I transitioned, it was it was a process. It was not the usual going into assistant editing and sort of apprenticing under somebody and learning, it was really the, no, I'm going to keep pushing forward. As, I'm an editor. I know what I'm doing. And so it took a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of sacrifices to take smaller, little tiny films and show what I can do. Everyone always goes, oh, well, you don't have, you know, can I see your reel? And I'm like, a reel for a film editor really isn't, it, it seems. It's not a flashy, like, you know, we're talking about story and we're talking about trying to pull emotions out of people and doing it with a flashy sort of piece doesn't do it. You know, I can just show you my MTB and you'll be like, okay, I, I see what you worked on. So that was tricky. That was very tricky to start out. It's not easy. And again, it's sort of leaning on people and asking and sort of trying different things. And again, sometimes doing corporate things or music videos, because all of a sudden this guy that does this corporate video, he's going to do a feature film in a couple of years. And that happened to me. And it was it was awesome. And that's part of where helping people out. It's really, again, that kind of, hey, uh, we had a great time working on this nothing. And then, well, I really want you for this because we work so well. So that was kind of where I kind of started going. And it's just starting to steamroll again over the last four four years where it's sort of project to project to project. I'm kind of getting passed on to bigger things. You know, it takes a while and it, there's a lot of patience and it's not a straight shot. And that's sort of something I'm sure a lot of editors know is you, you might get a break and then things might roll back. The pandemic hit. And so production slowed down like crazy. And so it's like, you know, you have to shift. You still do have a talent so you can use it elsewhere. It just may not be what you want to do. And so that's always been sort of a, a tricky thing for me of, you know, I know what I want to do, but I'm also got to flex my talent in other categories. So that's kind of how this all kind of started. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been an adventure. And at the same time, it's, I don't think I changed anything, you know, it's still, still working forward. When you are editing a, say a feature film, who all, other than yourself, gets input on what you're doing? Is that the director? Is that the producer? I mean, who all are you kind of meeting with and getting that shared vision of things? That changes from project to project. And it's always a question I ask in my first interviews. It's how many chefs are in the kitchen? Because I've had some where it's just the director has, has the final say. Do they have the final cut? That's a big thing also, because you will get directors and producers doing this. And it's kind of like, who actually has the say here? Because you, I can be getting conflicting notes and it's very hard as the middle person or the person that's actually doing it where I'm going to be the bad guy no matter what. More often than not, it is the director I work with initially. 
um, and we call it kind of the director's cut. And then we move into the producer's cut because more often than not, the producers have the final say, but more often than not, the projects I work with, the producers are willing to give the director the reins. So it's like, okay, tell me why you're making this decision. Okay, great. That's fine. And so, again, it's that collaborative process, which is so interesting. And you get so many different experiences and history from different people where someone's all of a sudden going, I hate that song. And you're like, why? It brings up an, an idea from something else. And it's like, well, that's just one experience. You know, what does the group think? That's where it does become a little tricky. I've had projects with one director with no producers and then I've had one with a director and like six producers and so you get tons of feedback and some of them conflict each other and some of them don't make sense and some of them are like that would be great if you actually shot that and so you know that's it's really that kind of again it's sort of explaining you know again it's the film breakdown of why are we doing something and if you explain it to someone they go oh that makes tons of sense and at the same time, it tells you, okay, I need to make sure this idea comes across a little clearer. So again, it's that breakdown of why, what, where, when, and sort of that is a ongoing thing for every single film, every single scene. So yeah, it, it again, it's a collaborative process. And if you don't want to play well with others, it's probably not the right position for you. <laughs> I had one producer that actually said, Editors should actually have a degree in psychology because they are psychologists that sit in the same room with the director for months and know more about the person after those couple months than anybody else. <laughs> so you better get along. <laughs> you worked on one that is just fascinating to me, the third in the Atlas Shrugged trilogy. Can you tell me what your experience was working on that? It was definitely interesting because I, I had known about Atlas Shrug. I had never read it. Um, I know my producer that brought me in on that. He was a huge fan of Atlas Shrug when he was younger and just maybe not the, the actual details of it. It was more the ideology of it where there are some really good points about that. And so about sort of Ayn Rand and how people can kind of do their own thing and create their own ideas and you should have the right to hold your idea as yours and not have to share or you can if you want to it's more self decisions and so when i came in it was really a guys i'm going to watch you know what we got for what it is and you're going to have to tell me if that aligns with what you guys are going for or not and so that was kind of i think good for them at the same time also because i was brought in after there was initial first pass i think it really helped them because i was like that's not working. That's not working. That works. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. It was sort of that fresh take of, okay, I'm a kid that grew up in California and now I've never read this book. It's very liberal leaning. And so, but at the same time, I, I want to be able to see everybody's side. You know, I want to see what, what's going on and I don't want to sort of blinder myself. And so it was interesting walking in and sort of having these people that were sort of tightened of this libertarian group and they had their thoughts but at the same time they were so welcoming it was so awesome because they're like you're creative you're you're trying to help us show what the positives are of this and 
you know, it was tough because it was a the third film and I know the budgets were going down each film and there was a time frame of the ownership of the rights for the uh for the book itself. And um, you know, it was cool sort of seeing we had reworked so many scenes when I came in because it was like, this isn't making sense. How do we make this clear? And I remember there was one scene where we basically had to rewrite a bunch of the dialogue and I had to find a creative way to get around it without being on camp, without it being on camera. And that was a lesson that I kind of take through with me today because it was a challenge. And there was a, the producer I worked with, Bernie Laramie was it all, there's this one scene also that always stuck in his head because I created this whole scene of, it was a call that, happened but we redid the entire thing and I was basically creating more of an emotional moment that wasn't there and this is where I always say I love heads and tails of shots because you get that actor to relax and that becomes this blank canvas where you can put it as sad you can put it as you know it's really sort of evil you can go any which way and I used that after this call and I turned to my producer and he's got like tears kind of watering up and he's like, holy cow, that was insane. Like, and that stuck with them for years and years and years. And I don't think it made it into the film, but at the same time, cause it became a little too poignant at that moment. But that's where, again, it becomes that kind of give me the puzzle pieces and we'll make it into something. But that was an interesting film. And that was, you know, uh, I, I think I told you earlier, it's like, that's where I met my wife. Um, and so it's one of those where it holds a special place in my heart. It was a learning block for me and it was a stepping stone. And at the same time, I'm still very proud of a lot that went into it. And so, again, it is sort of funny to, to look back on the films I've worked on and been like, oh, yeah, there's that one and there's that one. But look at all those that have gotten me to here. And so, you know, and all the people I've met, you know, where again, that producer, I then worked on with Death in Texas, which was three, four films ago, which was a lot of fun. And that, that one happened during COVID. And so we got shut down right before we were doing pickup shots. And so it was sort of this weird, uh, I, I actually was sitting at home and production had just opened up with COVID restrictions. They were on set. They actually punched me in through Zoom into the camera on set. So I was seeing the direct feed from the camera and I'm sitting at home recording and they do a take. I take it, drop it into Premiere, drop it into my master sequence and I'm editing basically real time. And I'm, I was almost directing because I'm like, okay, that needs to be slower. Can you do it again? You know, when the gun comes out, can you slow that down? And everyone's just like, this is amazing. And at the same time, I'm sitting there <laughs> I'm sitting there going like, Hey guys, can I go to the bathroom? I've been sitting here for like four hours, like, cause I can't leave the screen. <laughs> and so it was cool. And at the same time, it's, it, you know, it, it's going to find its place on here probably in the future at some point uh, for certain films where you don't have the ability to be there. It's one of those things. It always sticks in my head, especially when the actor walked in the camera with a mask and a face shield on, I was just like, okay, this is a sign of the times. <laughs> this is a different thing. So, but very cool though. And I, I can't say enough of how technology has helped me with my craft and how it's become a lot easier. Um, and it, you know, I think back to the days of online and how now it's a lot simpler and there's information out there where before it was kind of like, I can call one rental house and maybe they'll know, um, you know, but honestly, it's really kind of 
getting your hands dirty, trying to figure it out. Um, and that's what I, I would also say with a lot of editors too, is really just mess around, mess around, see how you're doing things. For the longest time, I had a joke of, I can break any edit system. You know, I'll find a way to make it crash. And, you know, at the same time, finding its limits tells me how far I can go. And that is also very interesting to me because it's gotten better and better and better through the years where I rarely crash now because I know what the limitations are. And finding those workarounds doesn't have to be expensive because I love technology, but I have a hard time investing in technology because I see how short of a lifespan it has and also where other people want to be a part of this. And you don't have to have the best setup ever to be able to cut these films now. I always joke about that with, you know, Sean Baker cut Florida project and he cut it on the laptop. I mean, literally just a laptop and a monitor, like that's it. And, you know, you go into these fancy edit bays and you have basically five different screens and it's like, you can use that real estate. I love the real estate, but at the same time, you don't have to have that. That's kind of, again, just sort of realizing this is something that everybody can do if you have the drive and you want to take the time to learn and to flex your talents. What's funny, you mentioned that even way back when you were editing the skate videos, you were working on an early version of Premiere. Back in those days, I remember it was such a struggle just to get a analog tape converted to a digital file to edit. And then you also had to struggle. You mentioned, uh, you know, all of the different technologies around HD. And I mean, codecs were just such a pain in the ass for so many years. Oh, there was one of the first films that was online on HDV, and it was called After, and they shot it. It was handheld. It was specific. It was kind of like Blair Witch, where it's sort of found footage. HDV, they're like, this is awesome. It's cheap. But the problem is it's a, it's a GOP file. So it's a group of pictures. And so you don't have time code on all those frames. And I think it's like 10 frames, I think. And so when we went to online, our decks were just going like, I don't know where this is. And so I'm sitting there going like, oh my God, there was two sequences where I had to hand cut everything back in. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm here for. This is my job. And it was, I, I think I, I joke because our machine rack was around the backside of our online bay. And I think I walked about 10 miles that day because it was switch a tape out. Okay, going back around, getting a shot, switch a tape out. And it was just, it was a nightmare, but at the same time, it, it taught me a lot, especially about frame accuracy, where it's the, there are certain things that you do that are very specific. And one thing that always comes to mind to me is like, whenever someone cuts on someone blinking in the middle of a blink, it throws me off. And it's one of those small little things where you're breaking the edit just by that little action you're leaving in. And because... Humans will naturally look at people's eyes immediately. And so if you think of that, that's where your eye is leading. And if someone breaks that right before a cut, you're going like, what just happened? And you don't know what happened. And so it's those little tiny things you kind of pick up where it's like, those things drive me crazy. And, you know, it happens in big films. But at the same time, it's those little tiny details that help to make those edits disappear. You know, the best editors either want you to see the edits because it's meant to be stylized, but more often... If you don't see an edit, we're doing our job right. So, which is really hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's that weird mixture of technology with artisanship, you know, and just that whole idea of like, you know, you're talking about frame accuracy and that every frame matters. You know, you're talking about the Kuleshov effect before, you know, and it's just like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's so important that, you know, you have these images. It's so interesting too, because it is, you know, I'm working on a documentary right now about 2D animation and 3D animation and looking at a lot of these techniques from 2D animation do play in so much to film. And, you know, they're hand in hand about, you know, force of motion and when to cut, when not to cut. And you're planning that out so much more in advance with animation and early animation, 2D animation, that, you know, especially now we're so lucky with the technology we have that it's non-destructive we can mess around, we can try things where before the artisanship of you're cutting film, you're literally cutting film, you're destroying something and you can only tape it over so many times. And so, you know, that is something that is so fortunate, but at the same time, looking back at how they did things and why they did things is a huge lesson to follow. I think with that too, is sort of, I think with some of that with hypochondriac, we were sort of going back to some of those ideas of super long fades and transitions and sort of slowing things down to sort of create kind of almost an unsettling feel um, because going back and watching a lot of older films takes were so much longer. Like I, there's some where you sit there, you're like, you know, the spaghetti Westerns, you're like, okay, I see the sunset. I see the sunset. Okay. I got it. Okay. I got it. Okay. All right. Okay. Cut. <laughs> and so it's, you know, and part of that is like, yes, it's beautiful. And that hadn't really been seen before. And so sort of having those ideas of what's happened and what can happen is sort of always in play. Well, tell me a little bit more about Hypochondriac and what it was like working on that one. Hypochondriac was such a fun film. It was, um, I guess, one of the best ways I can kind of just sum it up is uh, when my producer first came to me and was going to recommend me to the director, he goes, when you read this, just think of there being a meter on the side of the page that just, it's an insanity meter and how it's going to keep slowly ticking up until it almost breaks. That was like, okay, this is cool. I want to read this now. And so I read the script and he put me in contact with the director, Addison Heyman, uh, who is super talented. He wrote and directed it and it's, Harsh. It's based off of his life. What's crazy about it is that uh, it's sort of following the main character, Will, who is basically having a mental breakdown. And his mom is a schizophrenic. And so he is directly, he's sort of trying to figure out if he's a schizophrenic also. Um, and how a lot of it is he feels he can fight his way through it. And the biggest thing now, and I, I love these projects that have a bigger sort of message, that this is about reaching out for help when you think you don't need it. And it's like, you actually probably do. And to, again, it sort of comes back to, it's a collaboration. This is life. You can't go through life by yourself. You are going to have to lean on certain people. And so it really struck a chord with me because he was so adamant about he didn't push on like, that's not the way it went. Or, you know, there are, there was a certain scene towards the end with his mom and he basically got up and left and was just like, 
I can't take this right now. This hit too hard. And me and my producer looked at each other going like, oh my God, like, is this going to be it for the day? And he goes, let me go for a walk. He came back and he goes, you guys nailed it. Like, that's exactly, I want to draw that emotion. And if it's emotional for me, I know it could be emotional for someone else also. And so it was a real sort of learning experience. And at the same time, it was probably the fastest film that we have gotten structurally story-wise nailed within probably the first five weeks, which is insane. Insane. I've never had anything like that. It's usually, okay, we have a problem here. We got a problem there. No, we had the roughed out story within five weeks and we we're like, this is awesome. Now we get to play. Now we really get to dive in deep of everything. And so that's what we did for the next sort of five, six weeks was play with the insanity meter. What's making sense? Breaking down every single scene of what is the purpose of the scene? What are we trying to convey to the viewer? And is it necessary? And I think we pulled out like five or six scenes that hit the cutting room floor that are awesome scenes. Like we kept going like, what about this? Like, should we bring it back in? And it was kind of like, yeah, but it's not really moving the film in the right direction. It's just kind of a speed bump. And so, and a lot of it too meant a lot to, to Addison and some of them I was fighting for. And again, this is that collaboration of, well, tell me why, you know, and let's go through it. Let's work through it and sort of see. And at the same time, we had an audience screening, um, which I always, always fight for because, you know, after seven, eight weeks working on a film, you kind of become blinded to a lot of the edits and a lot of the ideas you're connecting. And someone might be like, well, that doesn't make sense. And if someone else says, oh, that doesn't really make sense, then you're on to something where you're like, okay, I need to sort of slow down rework this again and sort of see like what can we pull out of it and that was super helpful um i always remember we had kind of at the end of our screening everyone was like well what does it mean and i'm like that's awesome that's exactly like it could mean like this it could mean that and like people were starting to like debate what it actually meant and what you know are certain characters real are they not real and it's sort of like I love that. I want you walking out asking questions. I want you, because if you just walk out and you're like, oh, that was fun. It's like, that didn't mean anything, you know? And so the best films are the ones where you're like, what just happened? Like, holy cow. Like that is, again, you're, you're trying to spark people's imagination and it's entertainment, but at the same time, it's information. This was a really, really fun film. And I, I hope more people get to see it. I think it is, it's going to be a VOD and a theater release, I think later this year. Um, to get some more eyeballs on it. But we've had such great feedback from South by Southwest and can't thank everybody enough for what they put into it and having, you know, Addison's trust in me was amazing too because it was, it's his story and, you know, having that ability to be like, yeah, but I, I need your experiences also to come into this. How are you seeing it? I'm so close to it. He's written it. He's directed it. You know, it's, that's another question I always ask right off the bat, too, of you do understand the three phases of films, right? There's the script, the production, and the post. And almost in every single film, no matter how much money or how little money you have, it never stays the same. And if a director understands that, then I know they're an artist and they're willing to work and they're willing to collaborate to make the best story possible. What's your relationship like with, say, like the sound editor, sound designer? One great thing about Adobe is working with Premiere is 
very sound friendly and it's easy to bring in multiple things, put easy plugin effects on it and to really, I, I love building sound effects while I'm working. And a lot of it is to kill audio dropouts, you know, putting in background of, you know, residential neighborhoods, dogs barking, and it just makes you stop thinking that it's a offline cut and that you're almost finished cut. And so it kind of gets people to take the technical guard down. And that for me is huge. And so I do a ton of building with my sound effects and I'm not great at it, but at the same time, it helps to translate to the sound effects editor, what we're thinking, what's our timing. Oh, there's supposed to be a sound off screen at this time. Okay. I can make a better sound, but I have my timing with that. I think it's huge. And, and also with my sort of knowledge of onlining my last three films have all been on premiere and all of my turnovers to audio and picture have been super fluid, really no technical problems whatsoever. And that's huge. That, again, makes it so they can get everything up and going and then they can be creative. And we're not being hung up on the technical side because that's another thing where, especially working with directors, I don't want them sitting there going like, hold on, I've got a technical problem. I got to figure this out. Then it breaks our sort of our flow. I want them to just be thinking creatively. That's it. Hey, can you do this? Yeah. Give me a second. I can do it. All right. There you go. And that was part of it, too, in, in hypochondriac, a lot of the visual effects and kind of the weird sort of avant-garde sort of looking montage sequences we did, I did it in Premiere. And literally, it was like, okay, guys, give me five minutes, blah, 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 blah. Here you go. And they're like, holy cow. Okay, now we know that timing works. Like, that looks great. You know, we might tweak it a little later. And I'm like, that's, that's exactly what you do. Exactly. And so, but some of them actually stuck from offline to online and to the final picture which is very rare to say because a lot of it is it goes to the after effects, it goes to their artists and it gets tweaked and sort of changed. But with this, it was a little more gritty. We wanted it to be like that. We didn't want it to be super polished. And that was a fun experience to really do that. And again, a lot of it is knowing the technical capabilities of the system and pushing it to just where I know it can hang and, you know, where, how is this going to be a problem down the line if I do it a certain way? And again, letting sound know and letting a picture know, hey, I did this. Let me know if you need me to change something. Sort of having that communication back and forth of I'm available, guys. I want to make sure you guys are, are handled and have everything you need. You know, a lot of it too is just, I edit very clean. Um, my video lines, I have everything separated out. All my audio lines are separated out and I have kind of my channels for where I drag things in. So it's not just everything goes on, everything goes on, everything goes on. And you come back and you're like, I don't know what's active and what's not active. And so knowing that of like, if I go in clean, I can always save it if it's messy and save it somewhere else, save a copy and then clean it up because if you keep it clean, you're not going to go back and realize, oh, I just deleted something I wasn't supposed to delete, or picture's not going to come back and be like, why is there six tracks of video right here? And it's like, you know, it's just more work for them. And so, and especially with me, it, again, visually, you can see what's going on. The funniest thing I just came across was I color coat my scenes now. So I have a, it's an every other scene. So basically, it's like, okay, there's a blue and a light blue. It's like, blue's odd, light blue's even. So I can see on my timeline, oh, there's the end of the scene. So I know exactly where it is just visually so I can just scroll back 
And again, I'm a visual person, but these little tricks help you not get caught up in the technicality of things. And you can see the creative, oh, look at my pacing. It's like really like formulaic right here. We better like either extend or go short, you know, just for the pacing of the film itself. Those little things I think are so nice to have in Premiere. And I've sort of been sort of finding those little tweaks here and there and sort of tricks. And again, as long as it doesn't hinder my creative process, I, I love it. It's actually enhancing because it's not thinking about it or having to think about it. You're the kind of guy who I would like to work with when it comes to Photoshop, where I'm sure all your folders and your layers yeah. are all, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I, I built the the opening title sequence for Florida Project. They was they go up to the, the purple lavender wall and had all those everything baked down and then we actually had to shoot that out the film. They shoot the actual they created an optical for that and then they baked it film on film together and so it was you know we were always like shy we can always just put a plug-in on this to get some film brand on the title nope i want the title to be shot at the film and then put on and it's like okay so it was very much making sure everything was perfect and really it is because at the same time what i always say too is organization as an editor is is paramount like it is huge because especially with documentaries, you have so much footage. And my my motto is, if for some reason I either can't continue, have to walk away, or something happens in the middle of a project, I want someone to be able to walk in and be able to find something and work on it. And it's not a like taking anything from me. It's more of just that I need to have that ability to have it so legible that anyone can do it. Because that is, again, it's that technical not impeding the creative and i always say too at the end of a film i don't want to be searching for something when we're at the critical critical moment where it's like we only have a week left and every moment counts i need to be able to find it and so that's huge and i I think a lot of people don't understand that and i think that is one of the probably the first things you can do to sort of start training yourself to organize things, folder things. Don't be scared of folders. You know, I have bins that have bins inside of them that have bins inside of them or folders and folders and folders. And it helps so much because you can just quickly click, click, click. Oh, there it is right there. Yeah, I think that is a huge thing for people that are are starting and even been cutting forever is really start cleaning things up because you are going to see that payoff in the creative side for sure. So tell me a little bit more about this project you're working on now. I can only say so much, but it is a documentary on 2D animation and the coming of 3D animation. And we have a lot of interviews with some very heavy hitter animators from the golden age of early Disney, mid Disney, the second golden age, uh, Lion King, Aladdin, uh, Little Mermaid. And then we have interviews from Pixar and people that worked on Toy Story and it's it's a fun project. I, I've done a couple of documentaries, and when I talk about puzzle pieces, documentaries are like bags and bags and bags of puzzle pieces. <laughs> and it's so interesting because we were talking, it's like it's weeks and weeks and weeks of just becoming accustomed to what I have in the interviews, you know, because I'm watching all of them. And again, I love Premiere added the transcription aspect the text tab is huge and it is i i'm blowing everyone's mind when i say oh you realize that's there now right you know my producer was like i don't have to send it out to get transcribed i'm like you can if you want to but at the same time you know they can then look at that right away and they can punch to it you can click on it it'll go exactly over the words you want it to go to 
And I, I think today I was just looking up, oh, when do they say I'm an actor? And so I'm an actor. There it is. Oh my God, that was awesome. That would have taken me forever. That's been a huge help for the documentary side. And so it's really just sort of, and I'm also using um, Adobe Productions. So it's basically very much mimicking the Avid uh, kind of setup where it's bin structure. And so my producer and I have the same bin structure. We have the same media and he's in LA. I'm in Atlanta right now. And so we have this working project of, oh, if you want to send me anything, I've got a mic transfer bin where I can just shoot that over to him. He can see the newest cut. He can get this new footage I just got, or we can change over, change over different bins. I love sort of showing that off with like, guys, I got this. I know how to do this. This is awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, I want him to be able to tweak on things if he wants to, and then send it back to me. And again, it's that fluidity of let's just experiment here. Let's find the right way to create because yeah, this film could be, an hour, it could be four hours, and I'm sure it's going to be four hours to start, and then it's going to have to come down. And so it's exciting. It's, it's a fun one, and uh, hopefully, you know, done by later this year, hopefully. And so and at the same time, it's sort of uh, my last three, four projects now, it's just been me. Um, no assistant editor, and so it's really kind of, Again, that organizing and sort of teaching people how to organize and also trying to teach the DITs on set how I like things and how, you know, some other editors might like it. Um, same with script supervisors of, you know, talking back to the people that are handing you things because they want to know, like they're just doing it because no one's saying anything. And so, you know, try again, this fluidity of information from back to front. Like I'm not the final process. I'm the final creative sort of story touch, but there are people in front of me and people behind me that need to know where it's like, oh, that was awesome. That worked perfectly. Or, hey, could you do it like this next time? You know, we all want to get better. With each project, I hope you learn something. And if you don't, then probably didn't push yourself hard enough. Um, you know, and that's really, again, that kind of getting out of your comfort zone. And that is always something that's very hard instinctively to do. But at the same time, try, you know, really uh, I have a saying of don't ever let me say no, um, because I might technically or, you know, stylistically or the edit, the way an edit should go, that's going to look horrible. Don't let me say no. Let me try it. Make me try it because so that might spark something. You know, it's really, again, we're non-destructive. So, hey, you know, it might be the second cut after that, that all of a sudden is like, that's the aha moment. And so that's really kind of, it's been fun, you know, and, and sort of a story relating to that is we had a scene in Hypochondriac, uh, the kiln scene, and we cut it probably eight to 10 different ways, which is crazy because, you know, there's only so much footage and how many different ways can I think of it? How many different ways can our producers and Addison, the director, think of sort of presenting this information? And it was cool to see all those different ways. And then towards the very end, that was the most problematic scene of the entire film. And I think part of it was just because we couldn't film it logistically the way we wanted to. And so it was kind of, how can we think of a different way? And all of a sudden, I think one of our producers said, like, well, do we have to show everything? And to me, all of a sudden, I thought of Reservoir Dogs. And I thought of Jaws, of showing less actually creates more because the human mind will connect things and put things together and sort of 
you know, it's, it's the ear cutting off where you're not actually see the cutting, but you see the after effects. And that's kind of where we went with this scene of sort of using dip ins and dip outs of small pieces of information that you put together and it was impactful. It worked. And we were just like, I never would have thought of that. And again, at the same time, this, this film was so much fun because we used different styles throughout the film where the beginning, it's a lot more of a sort of dramedy and it's just a little slower and a little more flowing. Things don't really move fast. And then all of a sudden it starts to get faster. You start losing information. And that goes along with the psychosis of the main character of, this is his retelling almost. And so memories fade, memories jumble, and we refilmed some stuff. So it was kind of like that memory is kind of collapsing a little bit and sort of details are being lost literally. And so that idea was kind of where we ran with it of like, yeah, and then these kind of hallucinations, but it's also your brain's kind of jumbling up and things are kind of compacting together. So kind of breaking that down was a lot of fun. And then trying to show that stylistically was like, I mean, that was like me in a candy shop. It was just like, okay, let's go. Let's have fun. You know, let's just experiment. And so that is, those are always the best projects because it's kind of the, let's just see what comes up, you know, and taking different ideas and pre-collaging it from different movies of, oh, I really like that. That would work perfectly. Um, you know, we were talking about mirroring things where it's from Dark, the, the Netflix series where their opening title sequence is so awesome because it's a mirroring of time, basically. And for us, it was, a mirroring of memories and, you know, sort of inner, inner reflection of the character. And so it kind of, it, it all has to make sense. It all has to kind of connect in some way in some form. And so that was really fun. That was really fun to break that down. And so, you know, at the same time, it's, you're creating art. <laughs> you can't really go wrong. <laughs> I can say, Mike, it seems like you have a really good time at work. I, this is what I love doing, and I I really enjoy people that want to create and want to share, because especially in this industry, you're sharing something. You're sharing your perspective. Like what I say with Florida Project, like we were sharing, people didn't realize people lived like that. And so you're sharing this, and you're sharing that experience. And even with Breaking Fast, it was like, it's a rom-com. We were calling it a Ramadan com, because it's it's about basically a, a gay Muslim and it's a, it's a love story. And it's one of those things where everyone's like, wait, those two don't connect. And it's like, no, they do. And uh, Mike Masson, the director was so awesome. And he had basically a, um, a musical background, a musical director background. And so music played a bunch to it. And it was that kind of timing and that feel and how many people, he was such, so much fun to work with also. And that's, Again, I, I want this to be a comfortable space for people to come in and let their ideas flow. And, you know, that is where I take so much pleasure from this because it is even the shorts I've worked on recently have been female, male directors that are up and coming and seeing their growth and how much potential and how much not really experience, but also they have talent. They have a lot of talent and they're just trying to I teach them how this is how the editorial works and this is what you can and can't do and what experiences you can create and what you should try to grab when you're on set. It's just for, as a safety kind of thing, it's an edit bay. You spend a lot of time with these people, so you better enjoy it. And, you know, I've worked with people I, I'm not crazy about, but at the same time, it's sort of the disarm yourself. 
This isn't about you and me. This isn't personal. This is about making something out of nothing. And that is so cool when you think about that. And again, you're creating emotion from people that you've never met. And it's kind of cool and scary at the same time. You know, making someone laugh and someone cry in the movie theater is like, that really is special. That is very, very special. And, you know, that's one of those things where I'm always striving to find new ways to do that. Again, shining the light on some topics that people don't know about. And they then go, oh, I didn't realize that. And that's opening this door, opening their imagination. That's as old as time. (laughs) Mike Hugo, thank you so much for your time. This is so great talking with you. No worries. Thank you. It's so awesome talking with you. Thanks for having me on.